Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Please tell me that you are not an HGTV fan. Please reassure me that your evenings are not filled with Love It or List It and the Property Brothers. Oh, uh, Mike, well, guess what? Um, I've never even heard of those shows. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. not me. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of HGTV. But now you've made me curious. Why are you asking me this question? And more importantly, what could this possibly have to do with our episode today? Well, first, let me just say, I'm glad that you're not a big fan. So I have to tell you, from time to time, HGTV makes its way into my house. This does not promote any form of domestic tranquility. Ah, okay. Well, I can can sort of hear there's a little irritation in your voice there, Mike. Yep, yep. So the HGTV shtick, and, and I'll tell you this because you're obviously not a, uh, it's not, not a regular viewer. Their, their shtick is to take a normal lived-in home and, and fix it up, right? Yep. And the fix-up involves removing all personal property from the house and installing some kind of uh, trendy furniture, which frankly to me looks kind of uh, cheap. But anyway, oh, oh, and, and fake art, as I recall. Oh, yes, the, the, yeah. the, the, fake, the fake art. <laughs> and then, of course, the end of the show is the homeowner's return um, and our greatly uh, surprised, amazed, happy, tears of joy flow, and we go right to a commercial break. That's kind of the formula for HDTV. Right? Oh boy. You, uh, you've clearly given this some thought. I mean, it's, um, are you thinking about this when you're on, on the treadmill in the morning what, or something? What, <laughs> yeah, treadmill. Aren't you cute? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a treadmill guy, but I do. I am preoccupied with this, uh, with HGTV, and, and it does irritate me. But <clears throat> my problem with it is, is not so much the, the folks that are on the show or whatnot. They, I'm sure they're all good people, but the stuff's gone right? There's not a book. There's not a kid's toy. There are no bills on the counter. Nothing, not a Zippo. It's like the people have have moved into a hotel instead of a, instead of a home. The HGTV look is only accomplished by getting rid of all the stuff. Yeah. So like nobody lives there. It's like, right. So every project looks like it's done by some kind of monochromatic Buddhist, right? (laughs) There's just nothing there. Everything's gray and taupe and Anyway, that, okay. n- enough of the enough of the rant. All right. Well, okay. I'm tracking you, but again, I have to ask, what does this have to do with us today on the Sound Practice Podcast? Well, funny you should ask. Today we're going to be talking about data destruction, getting rid of stuff. Um, we all we all need to do it from time to time, but we want to know what stuff should go and how do we get rid of it safely. I see. So you are linking HGTV to destruction or deletion of medical information. So that I think I it's a bit of, I, it's a bit of a reach, but it's a creative one. So I'm going to go with it. And um, you're right. Most practices do need to get rid. Well, all practices really need to get rid of old patient data. And unlike the families on HGTV, they don't have the luxury of a crew to come in overnight and, and clean house for them. They're going to have to do it for themselves. So I think where you're going with this is in this episode of the Sound Practice Podcast, we're going to talk about data destruction. And yes. we're going to talk about what material deserves special attention. And then we'll turn to how best to destroy it and how to create a policy around that and what are the practical steps to getting that all done. Yes? Absolutely. But you know what? Before we launch into our topic, 
we need to do your favorite segment and my favorite segment of the podcast, the word of the show. Oh, right. The word, word of the show. Okay. Um, it's my turn. Yeah, it's my turn this week. So, Mike, here's the word that I chose for us, and it is brissance, the shattering or crushing effect of an explosive. Oh, very nice. Very yes. nice. And what a perfect word uh, for a show about destroying stuff. Yes, Excellent. destroying stuff. So, Excellent. Let One me more see. time on that word. Brissance, be like boy. R-I-S like Sam, A-N-C-E. Of course, I'm sort of pronouncing it in the Frenchy way, brissance, but it's probably brissance, right? We could say it yeah, that way. I think, that, and, I think that's good. You got my right, vote. and so let me use it. Let me see if I can use it in a sentence here. The, um, so it's the shattering or crushing effect of an explosive. So the brissance of destroying all the data on your external hard drives and flash drives um, is that they're, they're data-free and HIPAA-compliant. How's that? <laughs> ah, well done. Excellent. All right. I think we've hit the word of the show, and we are ready to begin. Let's launch in. All right. So let's start by talking about why having a current policy for destroying data and the devices that it's on is so important in the first place. Do you want to talk about that, Mike? Why don't you kick things off for us? Sure. The answer is pretty easy, I think, to this one. Two major reasons in my mind. One, reputational harm. But there's studies out there that show, Dothi, that if you have a, a breach, this data gets out when it shouldn't have, when you try to get it destroyed and somehow it, it gets out there, uh, mm -hmm. that uh, patients are upset about that. And a certain percentage of them just won't come back to your practice. The percentage depends upon whether or not you tell them or if they find out somewhere else. If you tell them yourself, some studies show about a third of them will not return to your practice. If they find out on their own, that's bad news, right? That, then there's yeah. a further lack of trust. They right. get really torqued and about half or better will not come back according to, to studies. So I can see where that would, I mean, you know, if they, if they disclose it, at least they're making an effort, right? It's almost like if they don't, you feel maybe they were trying to hide Yeah, it. <laughs> it's like trying to cover up their mistake, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the cover-up's worse than the uh, actual error to begin with. So there's um, reputation. So, yeah, right. so we don't want that. Definitely don't want that. And then it finally gets down to the... Uh, uh, the golden rule, right? Those with the gold rule. Uh, it's all about, it's about money because these kind of breaches are wicked expensive. Oh. Right? So you have an electronic breach with patient data uh, gets out there and you have to go through and do the notification requirements and the, the public um, notices and trying to track people down and identity theft protection, all that. Studies show and there are really some good, good numbers out on this, uh, well north of $200 per patient for an electronic breach. So you don't need to take that kind of hit, right? So right. we want to do everything we can to avoid these type of problems. Well, and I just want to interject here a second, just, just for those listeners who aren't sure about like that whole list, list of things that you mentioned, those are all part of your requirements uh, for under HIPAA if you have a violation or a breach. So you've got to do that. So it's not even a cost that you can avoid. And you know, you've got that, the, the actual cost and then the time commitment, I would imagine, from the practice managers and gathering information and letters to patients. It's, it's a lot of, oh, you got to do that on top of everything else. 
yeah, can you imagine all the phone calls you get? Yeah. I got this letter. I don't understand it. Oh, it goes on and on. I'm sure that, you know, members of my family uh, have made those phone calls when they get these letters, right? It, yeah. and, and you're absolutely right. These are legal requirements. No one is doing this out of the goodness of their heart. I am sorry to say. <laughs> you're, a, you're absolutely right. It, it's a requirement. Okay. All right. So, so that's why it's important. And, um, you know, this is something that comes up a lot, uh, you know, when we talk about data and uh, where it's residing and keeping it. I get asked this a lot, like, how long are people supposed to keep records, whether it's paper or digital, like we're mostly talking about? Well, we're talking about both today, really. So how long do they keep it before they would destroy it? So that is really governed by state law. And so your states will have a certain time periods. Most places, I'm in Indiana, it's seven years in Indiana. That's fairly typical. It will say how long since the last patient encounter that you have to keep uh, medical records. Varies if the patient is under 18, right? Mm. Is a child, mm. you may have to keep it longer. But this is really a creature of, of state law, and you should really check where you're practicing. But it's in that, in that range. No one says that you only have to keep it, you know, 30 days. No, it's always multi-year. All right. Well, then I guess a follow-up question would be, so, you know, you've got to keep it for a certain period of time. And then when I think about how cheap data storage has become, why, I mean, offsite records is another thing, but data storage has become so cheap. Why bother deleting the data at all? I mean, maybe you should just keep it and protect it and not worry about that. Or am I wrong here? Give me your legal opinion. <laughs> so, your legal input. Uh, so my thought is that you're holding this information and even if it is inexpensive um, to, to hold it and, and, and maintain it, it poses a risk, right? And I go back to that stat that if you're hacked or someone gets into this information when you're trying to delete it or, or just because it's in storage, somehow gets into that database, remember how much that's going to cost you if you're holding a whole lot of information you don't need to hold you've got liability for that if oh, it gets yeah. breached. And so if you're holding records that no patient has been there for 15 years, just because you didn't want to bother getting rid of it, you're still going to have to notify that person if there's a breach. So my thought is you want to clear out that information um, as, as soon as possible to reduce your liability uh, from someone coming in. This information has got big value on the black market, Tothi. Believe it or not, I know you're an honest person. I try to be. I think so. But but I'm 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 here to tell you that medical records are the new kind of illicit commodity out there because oh. they have all of the information that an identity a thief wants. You know, your bank, it's going to have your social security number, maybe your employer information, maybe um, home address, so forth. Your medical record, it's got all of that. Plus, it's got dates of birth. It's got third-party payer information. It is the well, and your social story. security, your social, oh, yeah. security, social number. security number, yeah, number, date right. of birth. It's everything. It, it's, it, it's it, it is everything that an identity thief could want. Yeah. So I think that to me, there's real liability if you're holding on to that, and if it's not if there's no reason to have that and you can properly delete it and reduce your exposure, you are better off to do that. Well, then it's a good thing that we've written an article about this and we're having this show because we want to tell the folks how to do this, how to, how to come up with a policy for deleting the data, determining where that data is, and then putting together a procedure <clears throat> so that they don't hang on to it too long and they don't have to keep uh, maintaining all, all that information had that liability. And the good news here is, Mike, I think you would agree, 
we think it's not really that, as far as policymaking goes, this is a fairly straightforward one. And we've come up with five easy steps that people can take. And we're going to talk about these. And we're going to be referencing an article, which is in the show notes, um, that we collaborated on in the Journal of Medical Practice Management. In fact, it's in the best of issue um, as well. Yay, we made that issue. But it is, it's very practical and straightforward. So you don't have to take notes, especially if you're driving. Uh, we're going to talk through each of the steps and then folks can download that article that we put together on how to do this. Great. So, I, I think you're right. This is, this is not um, rocket science, neuroscience here. Um, these are just things that you need to have in place. A little bit of planning is going to go a long way here. Good. So, well, let's right dive in and we're going to start um, with, you're going to tell us what is step number one. What is step number one? Step number one is to just start to get a, a view of the universe. Where all do you have patient data? And that seems, I mean, I'm sure many people are thinking, well, well that's obvious. We've got, uh, you know, the EMR system with, with patient data. Let me, let me tell you a story the, about a company in New York uh, that leased copiers, and maybe we all lease copiers. I don't know. They seem like vastly overpriced to me. Yeah, but anyway, um, their, their lease was up and the copy guys come with the new copiers and take away the old and nobody thinks anything about it. They start a new lease. Life goes on, right? Until they get a, a call. And I think it was from uh, 60 Minutes that was doing a story on uh, data exposure. This has been a number, number of years ago. It turned out that no one thought about the copiers, the old ones, having hard drives. And oh. sure enough, they had tens of thousands of patients' information on the hard drive of the old copiers. No one thought about it, and um, then they had a, a, major, a major breach as a result, and it was clearly, by the time it was done, a seven-figure uh, event for, for this entity to have to pay for. So sometimes, especially in the electronic age, patient data hides in uh, improbable places, like the photocopier. Well, right? the other and you things, know, voicemail, I know, for example, right? I mean, there's, there's another- Oh, voicemail, yeah. Right. There's all kinds of places that, that it is. Medical devices, anything with a hard drive on it, uh, believe well, it or I was, not. And I was thinking, uh, we were talking the other day about how people don't think about their digital cameras that they've got maybe lying around. I mean, especially in certain specialties like dermatology and plastic surgery, you may have these cameras and oh, not yeah. think about that as well. So I, I like how you uh, call this step the where's Waldo exercise because what right. you need to do is sit down and make a list. I mean, it's that simple. Sit down and make a list of all the places like the copier, the camera, the EHR is obvious. The practice management system is obvious, but now voicemail, mobile phones, mobile devices. Sure. Um, sure. Absolutely. And, and then of course all paper and, and things like that. And all of your removable drives, flash drives, hard, uh, removable hard drives, those kinds of things. And I think maybe we should also say, um, maybe there's things at home in the, if the physician works on anything at home, patient wise, or, or the, or there's um, a billing staff that you allow to work from home. So there could be data everywhere. So first step is make a list of everything. I think that that's right. And if you're anything like me, you start the list, and you stop it, and you know, two hours later, you think, ooh, I forgot one, and Something you go else. at it on the yep. list. So it's kind of an iterative uh, process to get through. But look, not hard. Shouldn't take you too long. Okay, so that's step one. So now let's go to step two. Now we've got the list of data and the devices that business associates have um, access to. 
Um, so now yeah. let's. What, um, so what, let's talk about this, this step two. And, you know, most people think about their patient data within the four walls of, of, their, of their practice. And obviously that, that's important. But what we also need to think is we have these business associates. And we know statistically that breaches happen at a higher level with the business associate than they do at the practice. So Why? if you're playing the you odds. Why is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Look, if you're playing the odds in Vegas, the odds are that the breach is going to happen through one of your business associates, not from your practice. About okay. 57, 58% of all breaches happen at the business associate level. So do not rest easy, my friend. We have to be worried about all that patient information that is floating around with our business associates. Hmm. Why is that? Do they just not have the same rigor with their HIPAA assessments and policies and things like that? Is it? Well, I think, I think a couple of reasons, um, and, and I, I can't cite you a good uh, study for this, but if you think about the practice has one set of data on a patient, but they may share that with multiple business associates. So the amount of data that is out there from the practice is larger outside the walls than in. If they Got send it. some, you know, some patients go to coding and, coding and billing are done outside, right? So all that's out there. Then when some of these patients don't pay, they get transferred to a collection agency. Mm -hmm. And so now the coding and billing people have it and the collection, and that's twice the amount of data that you still have on your own system. So it kind of mm -hmm. multiplies as it moves out. And I think yeah. that it's just more opportunity for bad stuff to happen. Yeah, because if it's growing arms and legs, there's more places for it to be breached than in these third parties. So, so what exactly. is the step then? The step is, step two is, to make um, a list of the data and the devices that all of your business associates have access to. And exactly, exactly. It's really an extension of step one, right? Step one, we're doing it for ourselves. Step two, we're going to do it basically for our business associates because it's my, my feeling, my contention that we cannot do a good job uh, with this if we don't know where all our data is. And so most of it or a lot of it is with our practice but some of it is out there with business associates and we better know where all of it is before we can talk about destroying it. And we have to find out how they protect it maybe and what they do. Maybe we should find out what, what they do to destroy it, where it is and how they maintain it, how they keep it safe. Certainly worth, worth asking worth some asking. questions. And some, I, I had one, one poor group. Um, it's an Indiana health system who uh, name shall be withheld, uh, you know, protect the <laughs> To protect the innocent uh, and the guilty. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's right. So um, there'll be no naming and shaming today. Um, so they acquired a practice. You know, these health systems do this all the time, right? And so they acquire this practice. And the practice had used a collection agency. They'd used several of them, but they'd stopped using one about five years before they were acquired. And this was a little place in a strip mall that was a collection agency. Mm -hmm. Well, not long after the, the practice was acquired, someone took a truck and drove into the front of the, through the plate glass window of the strip mall where the collection agency is and oh took computers, believe it or not. Again, I'm telling you, identity theft, big bucks, yep. uh, lots on the black market, and was stealing information. The health system didn't even know that this collection agency existed. When they purchased the practice, they knew what collection agency the practice used, but nobody knew what data had been transferred to this collection mm -hmm. agency X number of years ago. Total fright night, right? How are wow. you supposed to notify patients, tell them what information was taken, all of this, no relationship with the collection agency, no idea what information. Um, so keep good notes on where things go because 
God knows you may need it in the future. Absolutely. Well, and um, I also want to, this is one of my favorite stories that you've told me before about um, what can happen when your data are somewhere else outside of your four walls about what, will you tell me about that orthopedic practice that outsourced the digiting of x-ray film? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so this, this is a, this is another good, uh, good story. Um, this orthopedic uh, practice in the, in the Southeast had a number of traditional x-ray films, right? At one point they converted from the old x-ray films that you put up in the light box to digital images mm -hmm. a few years back, right? But they still had all the old x-rays and, and they thought we need to convert these into our EMR. All right, so that was the idea. And they got a business associate, some company came along and said, hey, we will we'll take these and we will uh, digitize or, or put them into an electronic format so you can have them in your patient uh, records. And so the practice turns over all of these films and then never hears from this business associate again from these people. This vendor, okay. right? No one knows what happened. They're trying to find their films, whatever. Then they get in a call from, um, from Ohio and it seems that the films had ended up, these uh, x-rays had ended up in a landfill. The company, it was a total scam. They had no intention of ever digitizing any of these old x-rays. They were just after the silver value in the, uh, in the films. And apparently there's okay. a fair amount of silver, you know, think how heavy those old films were. Right. And uh, they were taking the silver out and uh, dumping the, the films. So uh, another, another trouble. Uh, another trouble. Well, I mean, I guess it's safe to say these sound, these sound like made up stories, but they are not, we could not make these things up. These Sadly, really I'm not that creative. Right. So it's act, it is exactly why it's important to know, get your arms around all, where is the data going and who, who has access to it. So let's, or access to it. So let's go to, let's talk about step three. Um, now that we know we've got a list of where data is, including who has it in our business associates. Step three is to develop what we call the who, what, when, where, and why list <laughs> of how data will be deleted and devices will be destroyed. Um, and do you want to run through some of the questions that you, we might ask, you know, that, that practices should sit down and ask themselves for each, each of those I things? Would be, I'd be happy to. And again, I'm going to remind our, our listeners that this uh, is in an article that it will be attached to the show notes. So if you miss any of these, feel free to, um, to, to pull this up. So step three, we're, we're talking about the, the who, what, where, when, and let's talk about some of the questions uh, here. So the data, what, what type of devices is it stored on? How sensitive is the data, right? And that will dictate how we're going to dispose of it. So um, wait, wait, so that criteria would be what? How do, what determines sensitivity? Like diagnosis codes are more sensitive than phone numbers? I think that that I think that that's right. Okay. A patient's address, um, which is you know, obviously publicly known or oftentimes publicly known, is a lot less uh, sensitive than their their diagnosis uh, code okay. or their social security number, for example. So, depends on if we had just a list of uh, patients' name that we were doing some marketing to. I would say that that wasn't real sensitive. Uh, it could be, but generally is not. But if you get into their actual medical records, that's going to be a lot more sensitive. Okay. All right. So maybe we could, they could do sort of a screen for high, moderate, and low on the sensitivity scale to, as for each of those things. How sensitive is the data? Exactly. 
Uh, we also need to talk about how frequently we go through. Early on, I think you asked me about how long do we have to keep medical records, but putting that aside, how frequently do we go back and go through and talk about deleting emails or mm -hmm. shredding documents, right? The frequency at which we get rid of, of information um, is, is important. And that's another question that we need to, to ask ourselves and, and prepare for, right? Hey, can I ask you something, Mike? Th this brings sure. up this term that um, I often hear referred to as benign neglect, I think is maybe, is that a legal term or I'm not sure, but you know, it's all about this uh, uh, practices will be uh, want to donate things, right? Um, may, maybe it's got data on it. Like the copier we talked about, you might donate your copier, your fax machine or an old laptop or something and not realize that the data isn't completely off of there. So, right. It's that, we, uh, you know, it's you're that that's what you're talking about when reviewing, when we delete data and things, it, it just raised that point in my mind. What do we do about that? And, and, you know, what's the important thing that practices and leaders need to do to make sure that things are scrubbed before we donate them. Exactly. So it's that classic, no good deed goes unpunished, right? <laughs> You're trying to give away your old phone system because you uh, spent way, way too much money for a new phone system. And you think you're going to give away the old one to, to a charity that could, could certainly use it. And no one thinks that uh, the old phone system has a hard drive with patient information uh, and voicemail on it or something like that, or you're getting rid of some old um, uh, computer units. And, and so we need to go through and make sure that these are clean before we, uh, before we uh, donate them. And here's a place where I think if you're talking about large amounts of electronic information, that you are better off to have an IT person uh, go through and properly wipe it off there and give you a certificate telling you that it has been properly deleted and is clean before you give away the, the device, the computer, the phone yeah, system. You know, I, I agree. That, that's always what I suggested. I've done that myself. I've taken my old laptops, like my, my mom had an old laptop she's no longer using, and I took it, and um, I know that there was, you know, she had medical information and other information on that. So you can, and it's not very expensive, I don't think, even to get those certificates. But they, they literally oh, will oh. smash up. They will smash up the motherboards and stuff and, you know, really wipe it and then smash it up. So and, it's all right. <laughs> and so, so if you're recycling and I will tell you all that there, there is a small amount of precious uh, metals in uh, most electronic uh, devices. And so they're definitely recyclable. And um, if you want to recycle these things, you certainly do want to, uh, to crush up the, the hard, uh, the hard drive. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, I think you're right. A professional to address that benign neglect issue so that you don't donate something or recycle something. Both of those are good deeds. I mean, one sure. lives on, but the other one is still a good deed. Doesn't go in the landfill, but that we want to make sure that, that everything is, is off of there. Is there anything else sure. in this? Right. And, and your IT experts have specific types of software that is really good at uh, cleaning and deleting off of uh, devices. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that they're better situated, certainly way better situated than I am, uh, to make sure that the uh, device is clean before it goes to its, uh, its new, new home at, at some nonprofit. So um, I think that's the thing to do. Okay, good. And good. Just before we move off of step three, you listed those questions, and I'm reminding everyone that that list of questions should be answered for each place where data is, like each device. 
So it may seem like a lot, but maybe if you do a little grid or a little table or something, um, have all your different devices and answer each question. That could be an easy way. I'm look, I'm already thinking ahead to step four, which is to write the policy. <laughs> so I'm already thinking about how would I put this in writing in a way that's easy to read and easy to maintain and update. So well, that, um, that that's you. You're a you're a policy kind of person. <laughs> I am. I'm one of those total geeks that actually likes step four the best, which is writing the policy. And um, you know, Tr truthfully, you really like writing the policy the best. I, I do. It's, it's honestly my favorite part of the process. I'm, I'm kind of a geek that way. I think it's sort of fun, like almost like a puzzle. You know, you got to take all these inputs. We did the Where's Waldo. We <laughs> checked with our business associates. We did the who, what, when, where, and why list for everything. Now we have to kind of put it all together. And, uh, um, you should have been a lawyer, Tessa. Ah! You should have been a lawyer. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, um, let's, but let's, as, let's, as my father told me when I, I proudly announced that I had been accepted and was going to law school, he looked at me and said, but the world does not need another lawyer. <laughs> so maybe well, you're, uh, maybe you're better off. It's a good thing I refrained and went into the writing part instead of the legal part. But let's look at what's needed then for the policy, because even though I love to write, I think writing short, you know, less is more. And, you know, there's that thing called plain language which um, our government now has as a law to keep things short and simple and clear and to the point. So, you know, I think like three to four pages is probably sufficient on this policy, right? Do you think? It needs oh, to be I, longer? I, I totally, I totally agree. You don't want to write some, some big treatise. This is not a Herman Melville expedition <laughs> here, right? Thank goodness. Let's keep it. So, Cause then somebody has got to read this thing after you've written pages and pages and pages, right? But keep it, keep it short, keep it clear um and hit the highlights and keep keep moving there's plenty okay. of things to be busy with uh 29 page uh, data destruction policy is not one of them not one of them so well let me just go through a couple and there's a whole bunch of bullet points in the article but i was just going to share a few things that you would include in the policy i mean first of all have a title for the policy always put the version date in the footer uh, maybe start with a little summary of what it is one or two sentences is fine um, but then you're going to have sections. Um, I think breaking up the text is always helpful in a policy, but you're going to um, answer things like what's your process, your procedure for shredding and disposing of the paper? Um, do you use a service? Who's the service? When do things get picked up? Um, how do you delete and sanitize? You know, how, how do you make sure there's no benign neglect? How do you delete and sanitize things that are in electronic format? Um, how are the CDs, flash drives, any, anything that's removable, how are those um, destroyed? Things like that. Uh, no, that's, I think that, that's great. You hit those kind of things, you're uh, well on the way, if not almost there, to having a very workable and strong data deletion policy. Yeah, so. and, and then I think for the more sensitive data, making sure that you note in the policy which which kinds of data or which kinds of devices really require a data deletion, that certificate that you were talking about, because not right. everything will, but you want to kind of specify and, um, and then who, who do you use for that? So yeah, those are some good examples. So write that all up. And um, then we get to the, I think the last of our five easy steps, which is pretty straightforward, Mike, and that's to hire an attorney to review the policy. 
and and look, I, I, I appreciate that. And, and people know I'm an attorney and, and you think, oh, well, you're just trying to, to drum up business for the profession. And I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. This is not a big exercise that's going to cost you lots of money. I think it is worth having an attorney review it for your own, for your own protection. Maybe the attorney, he or she will uh, add one or two things to it. But this should be, if the policy is really only three or four uh, pages, this is maybe an hour's worth of time uh, for the attorney. This is not a big deal, but I think it offers a lot of protection. So I appreciate you bringing that up as, uh, as step five, because I think that's really for everyone's benefit. Absolutely. I, I actually am going to make a small plea to our audience on behalf of your profession. Um, don't skip this step. I mean, trying to do the DIY lawyer thing by writing a policy and putting it in place without having counsel look at it is just, it's a recipe for disaster, especially, I mean, some things, you know, if you were, if you're creating a pre-surgical deposit policy or something like that, an attorney doesn't need to look at that, but something that has to do with data and um, medical information. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah, your, so. your exposure on this is huge, right? So, because if you're talking about getting rid of large amounts of patient information uh, and you have a policy that says how to do it, you want to make sure that the policy is accurate. And I think uh, having an attorney is, is kind of uh, along the lines of a little bit of an insurance uh, policy yeah. Uh, yeah. for this for very little effort and money. Good. Well, so that's five. There you have it. That's five easy steps. Can, can I add a bonus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me a bonus step. What? Okay. Do, do, do you want to review the five first, Dothy? Well, let's oh, do, no, let's okay. Let's go five. through them first. And then we'll talk about it'll, incre it'll increase anticipation. Okay. <laughs> good. Well, that's always a good thing. So one is make a list of every place data physically resides. Mike's Where's Waldo exercise. Two is make a list of the data and devices that business associates have access to. Right? Check and That's check. Exactly. And then yep. three, develop the who, what, when, where, and why of how you will delete and uh, de destroy the devices. And you have to do that for each one. Um, and then Correct. four, my favorite, is to write the policy. And five is your favorite, which is call the lawyer <laughs> for review exactly. and approval. And exactly. And now All we right. need a drum roll. We need a there, drum there, roll for the There's bonus. our five. With, with heightened anticipation, here's your bonus, right? And that is uh, something that you don't need a lawyer for. But I think that in today's world, uh, we, we see so many large-scale data breaches out there that you would be reckless to the point of just being dangerous if you did not have some degree of cyber insurance uh, to cover you. With yep. all of this patient information in your EMR, and most of the people listening to this are using electronic medical records with thousands, tens of thousands of patients loaded into it, unless you're a health system, which you then will have hundreds of thousands or more uh, patients in there. Remember that statistic about how expensive it is to correct a breach, hundreds of dollars per patient. You can get out the, um, the, the calculator and start to see it is a very, very large number. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to self-insure for this. Get yourself a cyber insurance policy. And even better, get a broker that can help you understand, somebody that really knows about cyber insurance. Because, Tothi, I got to tell you, these policies are not all the same. Uh, it's still a little bit of the Wild West with these cyber insurance policies, and coverage is not universal. You know, if it's a professional liability for medical malpractice or for professional negligence, these policies 
the premium may vary, the deductible may vary, but what's covered by them is essentially the same, right? You move from one company to another. Not true with cyber insurance. So you need to be an educated buyer when it comes to this, but you have way, way, way too much electronic information not to have an insurance policy that covers it. It's too valuable. There are way too many people that want to get at that information and you need to protect yourself with a cyber insurance policy. So you did your plea for uh, have the lawyer look over it. My plea <laughs> is to get some insurance coverage in case something goes really bad. Who, who would they call for cyber insurance? Should they call their I, I think I'd, I'd start with my broker that okay. um, that you get your professional liability uh, coverage through and ask them if they feel comfortable helping you with, with cyber. If not, they'll have a cyber person typically that can help you through options on this. And I'm not promoting one company over over another. I'm just saying you need to have this. And so talk to your talk to your broker. Uh, we are talking today um, just days after. Facebook announced a 50 million user hack. And oh, yeah. every day I can pull up practices that have had breaches. Um, and this it doesn't all relate to data destruction, but it is electronic information that has been compromised. So uh, you need to have a policy that covers that. Do okay. that today. That is the most important thing. Well, that was that bonus was worth waiting for. And you sound very very energized about this. So this is a really good recommendation to leave, leave with. Um, and so good. we're, I am energized about it because it's a disaster this, yeah. if you don't have this, right? <laughs> it it's a total disaster. The likelihood of having problems is far greater with electronic information than it is with uh, traditional um, professional negligence, Safety. right? Yeah. You wouldn't think about going in and touching a patient without having some uh, insurance, some professional liability insurance, but yet we have all kinds of people that store thousands of records with zero coverage whatsoever. It's, uh, it's, it's frightening to the point that it could keep a guy up at night. So go get a policy. You'll, you'll sleep better. I'll sleep better. <laughs> That's good. All right. So folks are going to call their brokers for a policy. They've got their steps. And just to close out on this one, this is really not a uh, big endeavor, right? We, <clears throat> excuse me, think this should be about, 30 to 45 day project from beginning to end to follow these steps. And I'd say that's right. Yeah, uh, and, and you don't have to be wildly diligent to get it done in that time period. I mean, that's a, good, right. that's a good leisurely pace, an appropriate pace for a guy like me to get the project like this done. Okay. And a uh, few hours of discussion, few hour, few meetings, um, few hours of research on where data is, few hours of writing, and a few hundred dollars of attorney review time. So it's pretty good. You should be good to go. And voila, you're safe. That's what we're after. I'm feeling badly. I went, you know, at the beginning of the show, I went off on a big rant about HGTV. <laughs> and the more I think about it, there is really a point for, uh, for tidiness, especially after we just talked about, about data deletion. And maybe I have been unkind to, uh, to property brothers on HGTV. Well, um, I think you have a bit of a point, Mike, and I'm going to retract my comment about all the fake art because <laughs> there's no fake art in, there's no fake data, right? So yeah, keep, so we, we've given, we've given some thought to this uh, tidiness um, concept. And when it comes to data, I think that's uh, the better tactic is to put your policy together and make sure you clean it up. And so you don't have that liability longer term. 
Agreed. You can't be too careful when it comes to, uh, to patient data. There's just a great exposure out there. So we have to be tidy and careful and a policy is going to take us all the way to do that. Good. So I hope everyone sits down and maybe within the next couple of months puts that all together and reduces their liability and they'll be good to go. Perfect. Peter Drucker famously said that management is doing things right, but leadership is doing the right things. In the next episode of Sound Practice, we explore what it means to be an effective practice leader. We'll talk with Tracy Spears, founder of the Exceptional Leaders Lab and author of the Amazon bestseller, What Exceptional Leaders Know. And we'll discuss the characteristics that make successful leaders tick. Join us for What Makes a Great Practice Leader, next on the Sound Practice Podcast. Available in the Apple Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com.